You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me is always my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening into our Tuesday episode, whether it's your first time checking out Locked On Seahawks or you are a regular listener. Jam-packed episode is always coming your way. We're going to play a little bit of preseason week number two stock watch. Which players are trending up? Which players are trending down in regard to making the 53-man roster? Have fantasy football questions you need answered before your draft? Don't miss Locked On Fantasy Live on Wednesday, August 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern, streaming on the Locked On NFL YouTube page. Subscribe now so you don't miss it. Our stable of fantasy experts will answer your questions live or submit them ahead of time at Locked On Network on Twitter. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. With the deadline coming later today, the Seahawks did their first wave of roster cuts yesterday, having six moves to get down to 85 players. They did sign one player to add to the roster. Technically, Rob, the Seahawks have an 86-man roster because Aaron Doncor is exempt from counting on the 90-man roster. They needed to get down to 85 players on the roster, and they were able to do that. Here's the players that they released. Linebacker Nate Evans, running back Cameron Scarlett, receiver Anthony Ratliff-Williams, tackle Lucas McNeil, corner Jordan Miller, and defensive tackle Walter Palmore. Really out of that group, the only one that I'm mildly surprised about getting cut was Nate Evans because he had a couple nice tackles on special teams the other day, and the Seahawks have been light at linebacker with some guys being banged up, but Cody Barton did come back. It sounds like John Radigan's going to be returning soon, might even practice today. And so Evans was kind of the odd man out at that position. But otherwise, the rest of this group, really a number of these guys that had just signed in the last week or so, it was inevitable they were going to be in this first wave of roster cuts. Yeah, I, I thought so, um, especially with uh, the wide receiver, Anthony Ratliff-Williams, the, the tackle, Lakeus McNeil. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're basically kicking tires uh, on players. They have been players that the Seahawks had signed here recently after uh, after workouts. And so to see those players get released, it's obviously disappointing for those six players, of course. But that, that's just the nature of the business, Corbin. And I, I would agree with you. I thought of those six players, uh, you know, the linebacker, Nate Evans, is probably Probably the most surprising. He did have at least one missed tackle that I saw uh, this past weekend against the Raiders, but was very productive and did have several tackles, as you noted, on, on special teams. And that's obviously significant as well. But because I think that the linebacker depth is going to be improving, um, then, then I think that, uh, you know, with the uh, with the addition uh, of a new player, uh, Alex Changham, who uh, played defensive end. Um, he's a raw player, but he has a little bit of, of linebacker experience. I don't think that he's your traditional sea hockey linebacker now. He's going to run around space and he's going to be more of that edge defender, uh, 6'2", 245-pounder roughly, um, who I think is going to, again, be a little bit more of a response to uh, the, the 
somewhat unexpected release uh, of Alden Smith uh, a week ago. And so I think the Seattle is just trying to get another edge defender there. I don't think it's a huge rush, but they obviously see something in Changlin that they're intrigued by. But with the other players, again, I don't think it's a huge surprise, especially disappointed for Jordan Miller, former University of Washington cornerback. But again, like Evans, Corbin, I, I saw a missed tackle. Um, and, and that's the type of thing that the Seahawks simply are not going to allow at this time of the season. Miller really struggled during training camp, at least the practices that I've been at. And he was near the bottom of the depth chart. And I know that local fans were hoping that the former Husky could make some waves in the preseason, be in the hunt for a roster spot. But it just wasn't meant to be. He was not in the upper six, seven, eight corners on the roster. And when you have to cut down to 85, it's only five players, but you've got to make some tough decisions, especially at the positions where you have more players like corner. And so I'm not surprised that Miller got cut. Cameron Scarlett barely played in the preseason opener. Josh Johnson has been much better in practice. So that one was not surprising. And as you mentioned, Ratliff Williams and McNeil, those two players joined in the last week. And that just wasn't enough time for either one of them to have any chance to impress enough to stick on the roster. So none of the other releases were surprising. And really, as I mentioned, the more you think about Evans, he did miss a tackle the other night. There's a lot of depth at linebacker. Another, a lot of the players that have been out injured or coming back healthy. There really wasn't a spot on the roster for him. He's always a guy. If he clears waivers, which I expect he will, that if they have another injury, they could always bring him back in a pinch. He's a young player that, put up big numbers at UCF is a, usually a reliable tackler. So they could always bring him back if need be, but just wasn't a spot on the roster for him. As for Changham, he's an interesting story. He was born in Cameroon and then in middle school, his family moved to Georgia. He didn't play football until junior college, didn't even play at the high school level. So as you mentioned, extremely raw, but six foot two, 244 pounds, had, I believe, three sacks in 20 career games at Colorado, went undrafted, did not play for anybody last year. So this is truly a training camp flyer, a guy that's got a really good athletic, uh, athletic toolbox but hasn't really been developed, hasn't played much football. They're going to take a look at him. Obviously not a threat to compete for a spot in the 53-man roster, but who knows? He could come in and impress rushing off the edge a little bit. Maybe he's a practice squad candidate. So they're going to keep kicking the tires, doing some shuffling on their roster. This is not going to be the last time the Seahawks will be making cuts. After this second preseason game against the Broncos on August 24th, teams have to cut their rosters down to 80 players. So another five players will get pink slips. And then on August 31st, teams have to go from 80 down to 53 to prepare for the regular season. So they went back to a tiered approach with roster cuts this year, rather than just cutting from 90 to 53 at the end of the preseason, as they have done the last couple of years. I prefer giving everybody a chance to play in every preseason game, but this is what the NFL wants to do. They want to release a few players after each preseason game and then cut down to 53. That's the way that they're doing it this year. And we'll see if it ends up sticking. When we come back in the second quarter, we're going to wrap up our coverage of Seattle's preseason opener against the Raiders by looking at which players are trending up and which players are trending down in our latest Stockwatch segment. We'll start on the offensive side of the football in the second quarter. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host, Rob Rang. We just wrapped up our preseason opener on Saturday. The Seahawks falling to the Raiders 20-7 to in Las Vegas. As we mentioned yesterday, it was a pretty ugly First exhibition contest, only a handful of starters on defense played. None of Seattle's projected starters on offense played. So you had to take what you watched with a grain of salt, really from both sides. The Raiders didn't play a lot of their starters either. It's time for our preseason week number two stock watch. Rob, we're going to discuss which players are trending up and which players are trending down heading into the second preseason game in regard to making the 53-man roster. Each of us will have one player that's trending up and one player trending down. Let's start with trending up on offense. Which player coming out of this first preseason game and the first couple weeks of training camp do you think is trending in the right direction to make this roster in week one? Well, it's a terrific explanation, Corbin. Thank you for for doing it because uh, I'm going to be going with a, a player who's an undrafted free agent who I think would, uh, you know, anytime you have an undrafted free agent that, that you're trying to predict might make the 53-man roster, then, then you're being fairly bold. But I was just so impressed by the play of right tackle Jake Curran against the Raiders. Now, I know that all the focus is going to be on the left tackle, uh, in the draft rookie Stone Forsyth, and for good reason. Uh, but I thought that Curran was the more consistent of the two uh, blockers, both in pass protection and in the running game. He played most of the game. Um, he would have been a, a drafted player had it not been for a heart issue that was, uh, you know, I, identified in the pre-draft process. And of course, we we talked with, with Senior Bowl uh, top executive and former Seahawk scout Jim Nagy about Jake Curran. He predicted. That, that, that Curran could also, uh, you know, really make a run here. And I just think that with the durability issues of some of Seattle's other offensive linemen, with, with Dwayne Brown obviously out, Curran I expect to be at the right tackle position, not even in the left tackle position. But whoever is going to be playing left tackle, should Dwayne Brown be out, obviously that's going to open up possibilities of other spots along the line. 6'6", 315 pounds is Jake Curran. He's got 33-and-a-half-inch arms, Corbin. That's one of the big, big knocks on him is there's a lot of clubs out there who weren't really sure where he would fit in. Can he play, remain at right tackle? Should he slide inside at guard? I like his frame, his physicality, his consistency. I think that he can give Seattle a little bit of play at either one of those spots. I think the Curran is absolutely trending up after the Seattle's uh, preseason debut for 2021. I was pretty impressed with how he played on Saturday night as well, going back and re-watching the game twice. I did not have him down for a single pressure. Were there a few plays where he got bull rushed a little bit? Absolutely, but he always seemed to recover. And you got to remember, this guy was a four-year starter in the Pac-12 yep. playing at Cal, a four-year starter 
for one of the Power Five conferences playing against top-notch competition. So he's coming into the league having faced some pretty good pass rushers at the college level, and I thought he did pretty well for himself in the first game. For me, the player trending up on offense is the one guy that really had fireworks on Saturday night, and that's DJ Dallas. And I could talk about running backs every single episode. I'm sure our listeners are kind of like, oh, yeah, he's picking a running back for this segment. But, I mean, who else are you going to pick? I mean, nobody else really did anything on offense. You made some good points on Curran. But DJ Dallas, what I've been most impressed with from him compared to his rookie season Obviously, we know his receiver background. He first went to Miami and was a receiver, and then they converted him to running back. He's played quarterback in high school before, too. So he's got really good football IQ from playing all those different positions. He has soft hands. We saw that on that 43-yard touchdown. I loved the contact balance. He showed breaking the tackle while tiptoeing along the sidelines and then racing to the end zone. He's just running with more decisiveness. He's not being hesitant. He, when the crease is open, he's hitting it. And on special teams, I think right now he might be the front runner to return kicks. He had a couple really nice kick returns the other night where he looked explosive. And I mentioned it yesterday. Maybe you can't get faster coming into the NFL or much faster, but he's kind of making that theory look like it might be a fallacy because he just looks much more explosive to me than he did last year. Maybe he's just a little leaner. But you can see the explosiveness on offense, on special teams. He's a guy you can move around the formation. You can have him run routes from the slot. You know Shane Waldron with the type of offense they're going to be running, that West Coast attack with a lot of pre-snap motion, having a player like that who you can just move all over the place and he can run routes, he can run routes out of the backfield, you can run between the tackles with him. He's added a lot of value to his game in this offense. And I think he right now is the favorite to win the third down running back job. Now let's go the other direction. Players that are trending down coming out of this first preseason game. I know you've got a little bit of a surprise here, a player that didn't even play on Saturday night, but it's kind of the domino effect when you have an undrafted rookie like Jake Curran that's suddenly pushing for a spot in the 53. Yeah, that's the thing, is that if you are going to have an undrafted rookie possibly take a spot, then then whose spot might he take? And I think that uh, even though Cedric Abway played really well at times last year, Corbin, that there's always been a little bit of a knock that's kind of followed him throughout his NFL career about his just physical toughness, his want to, his desire. And I do not want to suggest that that is something the Seahawks are are concerned about right now. But the reality is, is that the most important ability, it's not height, it's not weight, it's not speed, it's durability. It, it Can you play? And, and Cedric Abue has been unable to play for the Seahawks. He does have that, that swing tackle potential. He can play right tackle, as we saw. He started for Seattle a year ago. He also has the athleticism and the length to potentially be able to play that left tackle position. So I think that he's a valuable, valuable commodity. But again, if he cannot stay on the field and a player like a Jake Curran can, then then I think the writing's on the wall. So at least right now, after preseason game one, I think that Cedric Abway is trending down. Frankly, I think that Jamarco Jones is, is trending down as well. Seattle's backup tackles, in my opinion, are very much trending down. The player actually who I would argue at the end of last season Right tackle Brandon Shell, starting right tackle Brandon Shell. He was training down at that point, but now I think that when you look back at at the fact that he has been a relatively durable, 
maybe not the, the best right tackle, but at least a quality starter, then I think the Seattle feels fairly certain what they have with Shell, whereas I don't know that anybody still feels comfortable with what Cedric Aboye might or may not be able to bring to the Seahawks in 2021. That's an interesting take. I don't know that I necessarily agree on Abwehi being on the hot seat right now. Jamarco Jones, I actually could make some arguments for just because I feel like we haven't seen enough good starts out of him at the tackle position of the NFL. We we saw those three really nice starts from Abwehi the end of last year, and he's a former first rounder that seemed to be coming into his own, but not being healthy certainly impacts things. I'm staying on the offensive line too, and I don't want to come across as – I don't want to come across as being a jerk with this assessment, but I thought Kyle Fuller looked abysmal on Saturday night, starting at the center position. I'm just going to be honest. I started to have nightmares about Drew Nowak watching him play the (laughs) other night. And look, Fuller has done some nice things in practice. The coaching staff has spoken highly of him. He's versatile. He can play both guard positions. He's even played tackle a little bit in his past. So this is a player that does have versatility, but I do not think that his ceiling is NFL starter. I don't even think he's a guy that as an insurance option is a quality enough starter. We saw it in that week 10 game last year against the Rams really got dominated. Then he got injured during the game. And I will give him credit. He played through a high ankle sprain, but he only played 13 snaps on Saturday night and he gave up two pressures, had a couple other plays that he got blown up. And all of those plays were pass plays. As as we talked about yesterday, they didn't run the ball until the 14th play. And by that point, they had checked Brad Lundblade into the game. And I thought Lundblade played better than what Kyle Fuller did on Saturday night. He just, he doesn't have the ability to drive people off the ball. That's not his game. His movement skills look decent on the field, but it doesn't translate to being a quality zone blocker. And he really struggles in pass protection. The play that Geno Smith got rocked by a corner blitz that Stone Forsythe didn't pick up, he was going to get rocked anyway because Kyle Fuller got owned at the point of attack immediately and lost on a swim move. So that defensive tackle was going to eat Geno Smith alive. Yep. So either way, Smith was going to get rocked on that play. And there was another one that Fuller got driven five yards in the backfield pretty much off the snap. Again, I, I don't want to come across as being a jerk. And I've seen him have some good practices. Maybe he's a quality backup to have on your team. But if the Seahawks are planning on him being the starter at center going into the regular season, that is going to be a major problem for this football team. I have to agree with you. I'm happy that you you pointed out that, um, the, yeah, the, I think the, one of the reasons why Geno Smith was hit as hard as he was off of that corner blitz is because his eyes were trained on the defensive tackle who was bearing yep, down on exactly. him. Exactly. Yep. Because, you know, uh, because Kyle Fuller missed that tackle or, or missed that block. And you're absolutely right, Corbin. I, I've seen some pretty worrying play at the center positions we talked about before. Most important ability is durability. And with Ethan Posick not being Kyle Fuller playing, you know, as poorly as he is, we, we talked about this before. Center was a huge position of concern for this club. Um, you know, they didn't do much uh, to, to rectify that situation in the offseason. And we shall see if that may wind up being a being a pretty costly mistake uh, for the Seahawks. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to switch gears to defense, continuing our second week of the preseason stock watch report, which defenders are trending up and which ones are trending down. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team 
every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. You know 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts you, the player, in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. Your name, your stakes. Winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that, and that's why it is my preferred daily fantasy sports book. You are in total control. Stat Hero is daily fantasy the way it is meant to be played, one-on-one. Go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Putting a bow on our coverage of that, I guess you want to call it a football game that happened on Saturday night at Allegiant Stadium. We're going to continue our preseason week number two stock watch report, which defensive players are trending up for the Seahawks and which ones are trending down. Let's start with trending up, Rob. The defense had more bright spots than the offense did on Saturday night. Which player do you think is trending in the right direction to make the 53-man roster? Well, fortunately, Corbin, I thought that there were some some defensive standouts here that, that we could be talking about. I think that you, you have to at least acknowledge that the play of the linebackers. Cody Barton is two sacks. Ben Burkirvin looked like the, you know, like he was going to lead the, the league in tackles like he did for the Huskies a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, I, I just thought that there were there were some bright spots, I thought in that game. But to me, one player that I was very, very high on when Seattle drafted him and have been so frustrated by in the last couple of years and certainly have taken my my share of shots at him during this entire training camp process is Rasheem Green. And I thought that Rasheem Green had a terrific uh, 2021 debut. Now, he only was credited for one tackle, but, you know, it's kind of funny uh, how, how the stats book doesn't really reflect how how effective that he was, his burst, his bend off the edge. We talked about this uh, yesterday's show a little bit, Corbin, the the versatility they demonstrated. Seattle lined him up as a stand-up rush linebacker going up against the Raiders' left tackle on the very first snap of the play, but on the the first third down opportunity, uh, Rasheen Green was reduced inside as a defensive tackle role and was effective both times. Um, and, and so to me, he is a player that at least after week one of the preseason, Rasheen Green is certainly trending up and giving himself the opportunity he needs to make this roster because as talented as he is, as young as he still is, 
he has not yet turned in the production and the consistency that Seahawks fans have been craving for since he was selected with a top 100 selections a couple of years ago. And he's still facing a uphill climb because of the depth chart. They're only going to be able to keep so many defensive ends on this roster. But if he's able to put together another game against Denver next Saturday where he is able to get into the backfield several times, produces a pass rusher, show some of that consistency that has evaded him, then I think that he helps his chances of making this roster tremendously. I'm going to go to the secondary. At the cornerback positions we talked about yesterday, I think Pete Carroll was extremely disappointed with how the corners played as a whole. They really struggled against second and third string receivers. Nathan Peterman was lighting them up, completing 74% of his passes, well over 200 passing yards. They gave up 11 out of 17 third down opportunities for first downs. That's too high of a conversion rate. But I'm going to highlight the one corner that I thought had a decent game and may have boosted his stock as a result, and that's Gavin Heslop. Now, he didn't have a perfect game. It was kind of a hot and cold performance. He gave up several receptions in coverage. There were a few plays where it looked like he was playing back a little bit too much. Maybe that was just by design with the coverage. But he also showed he's a capable run defender. He rocketed into the backfield and blew up the running back B.J. Emmons for a tackle for a loss. And in this game, the Seahawks didn't have many run stops that were effective. So seeing a corner come up and make a play like that was impressive. And on the outside, he had a really nice pass breakup on a crossing route where he snuck out his right hand. And it was one of those plays where we see a lot of corners get in trouble because they get grabby. He did not. He kept his left hand off the receiver, slid his right hand in front, knocked the football away. It was a really nicely done pass breakup from a technical standpoint. And this is a kid that you and I were both intrigued by last year. He missed most of training camp. There were no preseason games. So he really didn't get a chance to prove himself, was on the practice squad all of last year. I don't know that he has yet played himself into the legitimate discussion of making this team, but if he has another solid performance and the other corners don't step up, he's only 23 years old. He's got good size. He obviously can play the run, which is important for corners in this system. So maybe he is a wild card now that we weren't looking at going into training camp that maybe he should be a little bit on the radar at this point. I think that Gavin Heslop absolutely should should be on the Seahawks uh, and Seahawks fans' radar. You know, he was one of my favorite Diamond in the Rough candidates a couple of years ago coming out of Stony Brook. He's one of those yeah, but guys that if he just had some interceptions, yep. then I am certain that he would have been drafted. Kind of like we talked about before with Jake Curran on the offensive line situation, his medical issues. I mean, you're, you're talking about a player in Heslop who played at Stony Brook and, and didn't have a whole bunch of, of interceptions. And, and so that's going to scare teams off. But the, the, the coverage skills, the mobility, the straight line speed, the size, and certainly that physicality. I love that you referenced uh, the, his tackle as well as his play in coverage because he's a good football player. He's a guy that if he doesn't make Seattle's roster or their practice squad, then I am certain that there's going to be some other team that's going to come calling for him at, at minimum at practice squad because he's a good player. He's just not the ball hawk that, that some teams are prioritizing. And it's it's a guy like Heslop that I'm happy that you're highlighting because I'm going to take the exact opposite approach with uh, a player that, uh, you know, that I want to highlight here for the guy who's kind of trending down. 
with Heslop. And again, I mentioned before, uh, you know, Jake Curran, um, you know, undrafted free agent types, guys who are fighting and scratching just to get on the roster. Then you got a player who is trending down, in my opinion, like a Cedric Abue, who I mentioned as a former first round pick now on, you know, his second, third, fourth NFL team. Same thing with the defensive lineman, Robert Kim Dice. Um, of course, the former first-round pick by the Arizona Cardinals has shown some flashes here with the Seahawks, so much so that the Pete Carroll, unprompted, has kind of talked about Kandiche and how much that he's been surprised by what he can do. But it's the same thing I talked about before on the offensive line, Corbin. It's it's durability is the most important ability. And Kandiche being out and all kinds of questions that have surrounded him since – way back in his old Miss days about his reliability, both on and off the field. You know, I just think that he might be a player who is trending down right now and needs to get back onto the field to be able to reverse course. Because when Robert Kimdiche is motivated and focused, then he is a monster. And, and I think that Seattle would really, really be boosted by his talents. But at the same time, as we talked about before, you have to have a, you have to be a player that the teams can rely upon, and he has not been that. Rasheem Green actually is starting to show a few more flashes that maybe he might be that guy. And that's the thing is I wonder if Green and Kim Dietschy are basically fighting for that one same roster spot. Kim DJ has been so impressive in practice, but he's now been out for more than a week with a groin injury that Pete Carroll made sound like it was not a big deal. And Carroll recently has said that he's been doing workouts and looked really good. So I wonder if they're just being really cautious about getting him back into actual football drills and stuff, but maybe he'll be practicing today when the Seahawks take the field. And hopefully he will be for his sake because he needs those reps in games. The Seahawks need to see that how he's performed in the practice field translates to games. And if they're able to see that, then I think he makes this 53-man roster. But if they're not able to see him in any preseason games, I don't know how you can just jump to putting him on the roster. I know he's got first-round pedigree and he's a really talented player, but he also has been a disappointment throughout his NFL career, and he's had his share of injury issues. So there's some reliability questions there, as you mentioned. So I think this is huge for him to get back to be able to get reps in preseason games and play well in those preseason games to secure his roster spot. I'm going to stay in the secondary for my trending down, and I mentioned this earlier. I don't want to beat a dead horse, and this is a player that we were talking very favorably about going into this preseason game because Trey Flowers has had a strong training camp. But he simply has to do better in these exhibition games. And it's weird saying a guy that has started 37 games for you the last three years has something to prove in preseason games. But he has to. With the competition the Seahawks have in the corner position, the inconsistency that he's battled throughout his career, I mentioned it yesterday. It, the game on Saturday was truly the microcosm of his career to this point, because all week long people were talking up about how well he's playing in practice. And he has looked good on the practice field, but he was allowing Zay Jones to dominate him in those first two drives and didn't get any pass breakups was never really in a position. He, the one long reception he could have, but he never turned to play the football, which continues to be a problem for him. And so I just think he didn't take advantage of that opportunity. And then you have players like Gavin Heslop that are maximizing their reps. DJ Reed, they're hoping, is going to be back this week. 
Flowers had a real opportunity to close the gap at that right cornerback spot, and he wasn't able to do it. And not only does that make it easier for DJ Reed to hold on to the job, I think it also makes it that Trey Brown is going to get more opportunities in the second preseason game. And the rookie, if he's able to capitalize, could leapfrog Flowers. And suddenly, it isn't just about battling for a starting spot. Trey Flowers is starting to look over his shoulder a little bit, wondering, am I going to be able to make the 53-man roster at this point? So this next game is going to be critical for him. He's got to take advantage of the reps that he has and getting his hands on the football once or twice. I know Pete Carroll's thinking about that with a cornerback group in general, but getting that from Flowers would be crucial to his chances of competing for a starting spot. And as I mentioned, even just making this roster, given the depth that they now have at cornerback, there's a lot at stake, a lot at stake here for him going into the last year of his rookie contract. Betting on the NFL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast. Hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow Locked on Bets, brought to you by the betonline.ag. Brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all new Odyssey app. That's AUD. ACY. When we return on Wednesday, Rob and I will be breaking down observations from the Seahawks' latest training camp practice. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks!